So as we start this school series today, Stay in School, and we're talking about being scared at school, I want us to realize that we are living in a culture right now that smells like fear. It's almost like someone has gone into our schools across our country and sprayed something that has made students and parents alike want to stay away from school. As the parent is taking the child to school, they're both crying. Now, parents and kids have cried for a long time on that first day of school. But there seems to be in our culture right now a more intense fear of what's going on in our schools. Yeah, we've all experienced in our own life, either personally or with our own kids, the fear of that first day of school, the fear of just going to school, period. Charlie Brown and his sister, Sally. Well, Sally, today's the first day of school. We'll soon be there. Just a little way to go now. There it is. There's your school. And she runs away screaming. We all connect in some way with that fear of school. I guess the fear of being separated, fear of school starts in daycare, starts in preschool. And experts tell us that uh, a child doesn't have any concept of time. And a child doesn't know if you're going to be gone two hours or two weeks. And so the experts tell us to get our kids ready for daycare or preschool, especially daycare in this world, uh, that age, to play peekaboo with them so they'll be used to seeing you and then not seeing you and then seeing you again. So they'll be aware of that. And this is what the experts do say. This was interesting to me. They said, do not leave your kid in the class, and even that goes with the church world too, I suppose, and try to sneak out. We've all done that, I think. And the experts tell us, gosh, if you try to sneak out on your kid, they'll never trust you again. Well, it's too late for us, Nisi. We already blew that part of it, didn't we? There are all kinds of fear diffusers that have been spread over our schools. Go back to the Charles Schultz world. Oh, please don't let her call on me, Marcy says. Please, oh, please don't call on me. I'll study hard tonight if you just please don't let her call on me today. I thought praying in school had been banned, Franklin says. Well, this kind will always be with us, Franklin. <laughs> yeah, just the fear of not knowing the answer, the fear of the academic pressure. It's all a part of our school experience that creates a sense of fear. I posted a question on my Facebook page this past week. It says, was school a scary place for you? If so, what made it so? And that we'll think about it, and that's what we're doing today. And I got a few responses. One of the persons said, yes, it was scary. What made it so? The bullies. Another person said, I had a teacher in seventh grade humiliate me in front of the class. Another person said, toilet stalls with no doors. That is so true. I, has that even changed? I don't know, grade school or junior high or high school, I don't know. That was intimidating for sure back in my day. This person writes, having a boy spanked with a paddle while he recited the ABCs in front of the class, I will never forget it. That punishment did not fit. Whatever infraction it was, never could. And a late uh, entry, so to speak, to that question 
is this. I remember in high school that I found this deep hatred for going to school, but I still love learning. But looking back now, I think I hated going to school so much because I didn't fit in with anyone really. I remember being told by the white kids that I was too black, but then being told by the black kids that I was too white. So I went through high school with just two friends and kept to myself. That's some traumatic stuff. And we've all probably have some degree of that trauma in our lives from school. And on the other side, there was this response. School was the most wonderful experience ever for me, all the way, elementary, high school, and college. Well, I would love to be you. <laughs> and for the most part, it was a good thing for me. But I think most of us would agree that as scary as school was in the past, there is a, uh, an intensity of fear regarding school today. This cartoon shows it so very well. Then, I don't want to go to school, and now the parent is saying, I don't want you to go to school. The world in which we live has created even a fear for the teachers. Hi, Susie, I'm your new math teacher. Your English teacher is over behind the barricade. One mother writes of her own experience with her first grader. She says, this past Friday and three days after the school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, I loaded my six-year-old son into the car to take him to the ER. I was convinced that he might have appendicitis. He was exhibiting all the signs, pain in his belly and on his right side. He had pain walking and could not hop up and down or at least refused to try and was exaggerating his need for help in walking. He was feeling nauseated. He told me his stomach hurt at school all day and he was falling asleep in class. I was concerned and wanted to rule out everything else, so I gave him a Miralax in case that might solve the stomach pain. After I started my car, I paused and took a deep breath, reflecting on the week's stresses. In that moment, I recalled some advice on kids and stress that was shared in the early days of the pandemic. Kids exhibit stress much differently than adults. As I turned around to look at my son in the car still parked outside our house, I asked him, is there anything going on at school? Are you scared of anything? He immediately started crying and not from his stomach pain. He told me about two kids picking on him at school. And then he really broke down and said, he doesn't want to go to school anymore because he's scared that the bad guy in Texas will come and murder him and his classmates. And the mom writes, damn, insert gut punch number one. She goes on, I did my best to reassure him that he is safe and the bad man in Texas cannot hurt him, while still thinking in the back of my head about so much work our country needs to take to protect our kids from gun violence. I listened, I reassured, I suggested we go inside, hang together and snuggle. And as soon as we got inside, it was as though his pain had vanished. He still said his stomach hurt a little, 
but he was back to being my happy, goofy kid. An hour later, his stomach was fine, and he had not left my side once. I was grateful for his snuggles that night, reflecting on the 19 families in Texas who could not snuggle their own child. When I shared this story at work, one colleague told me her middle school son does not want to go to the upcoming school dance and promotion ceremony. Why? Because so many people will be in one place and they could get shocked. Damn, she says. Insert gut punch too. Listen to this story from a school counselor. Yeah, I think all of us agree, although we bleeped out the word, we can agree with the word and the sentiment. It is messed up. What that school counselor has helped us understand, I think, through her personal experience, and this is probably being repeated thousands of times across the schools in counselors' offices. It's a picture of a dystopian society, a society that is messed up, effed up, without justice, without peace, without love. We are living, I think, in dystopian times. And it makes me sad, but it makes me hopeful because there is a picture of a utopian time. It's written about by the Hebrew prophets, starting with Isaiah. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yet... Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. Isaiah lived in the 8th century BCE. The values expressed by Isaiah are still so aspirational. The earth will shake at the force of his word. One breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. I don't know why they have to slide in that stuff for every once in a while. He will wear righteousness like a belt. In truth, like an undergarment. <laughs> I love that verse when I was in fourth grade. <laughs> Looked at my underwear. Truth, like un underwear. In, in that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled 
with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. The story begins with the claim that out of a dead stump is going to grow new life. We're living in a culture of death, of killing, of fear. And I, I can't help but wonder, is it possible that in our culture we are more concerned about keeping a particular type of gun more than we're concerned about protecting children? I dream of a utopian world. From that stump of death and killing and fear can grow a new life and emerge from that stump a brand new way. Isaiah describes it as a time and a place when predators live in harmony with the prey. When lions become vegetarians. And violence between the species stops. And the children are always safe. The prophet Zechariah, who lived and prophesied 200 years after Isaiah, sees a time when the city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. The streets will be safe. We think our streets are not safe today, and in so many communities, they aren't. Neither were they in these days. So Zechariah was dreaming of a time where they would be. Dreaming of a time where children will live and play and go to school in peace and safety. The word for play here is the Hebrew word that literally means to laugh. There will be a time, instead of crying, there will be laughing. Instead of screaming out of fear and absolute terror and horror, there will be the joyful giggles and the hilarious laughter of children. Instead of fear, there will be peace. Folks, this is a picture of how life could be, how life should be. How will we get there? Go back to Isaiah in the 8th century. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, no more violence. Why? Because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, as filled with the water in, this, in the ocean. That word knowledge is so very interesting to me. It's a word for feminine knowledge. That's not my word for it. That's this Hebrew commentator's word for it. A feminine knowledge. It's a knowledge of the soul. It is not a knowledge related to, I know these things about God, and I know this systematic theology about God. It's not a knowledge of doctrine or a knowledge of dogma, but it is a, 
a knowledge of experience. The root word of this word knowledge is yada. The word yada is used in the story of Adam and Eve. When we read that Adam knew Eve and she conceived, okay, that must mean that Adam wrote a biological treatise on Eve. He wrote a book about Eve. No, he knew Eve and Eve conceived. They got very well acquainted with each other. So this word knowledge is not about doctrine and belief statements and theological maxims. There is a religion that has a knowledge of God, that has a theology of God. And if you agree with that knowledge, this religion about God, then you're in. If you don't agree with that knowledge that they have about God, then you're out. And that was the knowledge that I grew up with. And that was the judgment we made on people who didn't agree with us. They were out. There is another religion, however, the one that I began to experience in high school and had bits and pieces of it throughout my life. But Nisi and I have got into different, a whole new level of this type of religion in the last 20 years. I so would love to lead you to that, away from this other knowledge, to a knowledge of experience, to mystical knowledge of getting very well acquainted with God. And it seems like out of that second type of knowledge, in that second type of religion, as what Father Rohr says, the religion of the second half of our life. Hopefully we will grow out of that very basic fact-based knowledge into an experiential. It seems like when we experience that knowledge of God, we experience love. And it seems like, and I think our lives bear this out to a degree, we are developing a greater love for all. It's an inclusive, and it's a love that embraces even those that I used to judge, and even those that I would, in my false self, even judge today. It's a unifying experience of love. Now, every once in a while, we see glimmers of this second religion, this religion of the second half. We see glimpses of new life coming out of a dead stump. If we open our eyes and if we are aware, we will see it. Somebody was aware of this and saw it. The first day of school, a little boy is very scared. And the scared little boy was struggling. And then a little boy was aware, and he decided to step in and stand by him. 
is it possible that one of the solutions to those who are fearful is to have someone, and maybe that someone is you, to stand by them in their fear. Psalm 34 takes us to how to do this, maybe. If we would all turn from evil and do good. If we as a society, as a culture, as individuals, but as groups, as a community, as a nation, as a planet, seek peace, chase it, go after it. You get up in the morning, that's what's on your mind. Today I'm seeking peace, and I will go after it. That's what it's going to take, isn't it? A couple of centuries after David wrote that, Isaiah wrote this, learn to do what is right. See, we're taught to do what is wrong. We're taught to hate. We're taught to be prejudiced. We're taught to discriminate. We're taught to judge. And we can unlearn that. Maybe not. Maybe we can learn something new that is better than what was old. So the prophet says, learn to do what is right or just and promote justice. Give the oppressed reason to celebrate. Take up the cause of the orphan and defend the rights of the widow. Two groups in Isaiah's day that were experiencing oppression more than anybody else. Another person who responded to my post about their scary experience wrote this. School is probably scary until you have a friend or someone who sees you and helps you find your way. Let's help each other find their way.